Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're in our series, A Brand New We. The Apostle Paul has been walking us through his letter to the church in Ephesus. Uh, We call it Ephesians. And the title of our message today, I thought it would be appropriate to say it this way, like a father would do it. Like a father would do it. We've been going verse by verse, and after today, we're going to reach the halfway point of this letter. And here's the big theme. When, When God changes you and gives you a brand new identity, he doesn't just change the way you think about yourself. He changes you the way you think and see everyone else as well. And more specifically, Paul's been walking us through a few major thoughts as we get to this point. First, he started off by saying, you have a brand new identity. Then he goes and tells us, you have a purpose to accomplish. And from there, he says, that purpose is going to involve other people. And we're going to be primarily in Ephesians chapter 3 today. So let's dig in. I started to consider that we would be having this conversation about Ephesians chapter three and what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate and that it was gonna fall on Father's Day. And I thought, man, how appropriate that we we look at the way the Apostle Paul does it. He kind of writes the way a father would when you look at this. And I hope as I unpack it today, it'll make sense to you. He says, a mom might have ended chapter two um, talking about all this unity and us being woven together like a beautiful tapestry with all the different colors. That's how a mom would do it, right? A mom may say, it's like a beautiful cake that all the different ingredients get mixed together and baked to perfection, and it's wonderful. That's how a mom would do it. But remember, the Apostle Paul, as a father, as a man's man, ends chapter two this way. Look what he says. He talks about He uses this metaphor using a building. Ephesians chapter 2 says it this way. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. It's a manly phrase. And we see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God. This entire building, he says, is under construction and is continually growing under his supervision until it rises up, completed as the holy temple of the Lord himself. This means that God is transforming each one of you into the holy of holies, his dwelling place, through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. That's how the Apostle Paul finishes chapter 2. Then, in almost the same thought, continuing that same thought, he launches into a prayer, kind of. You say, well, Pastor John, what do you mean, a, a prayer, kind of? Ever known someone to start a conversation and then get distracted, you know, distract a little bit, kind of a rabbit trail? You know, that's kind of what happens here at the beginning of chapter three. Paul starts to pray, and then I see Gene and, and, uh, and Andrea elbowing each other. It happened to Kayla and I, too, the other day. We were driving on the road, having a conversation, great conversation. I was enjoying it, but I got completely lost until I realized we were talking about three different people and three different conversations. I thought it was just one continual. Has that ever happened to you at all? Yeah, Terry, be careful. She's sitting right next to you. It's like the man who said, I haven't spoken to my wife in four years. 
I just don't want to interrupt her. And, it's okay, ladies, come on, it's Father's Day, give me a minute. Give me a minute. Some of y'all that hit a little too close to home, I'll let you, uh, let you worry about that. Father's Day is actually a great way to describe what's happening in this chapter for us. The Apostle Paul has been raising this young church. He's a father to them. And just like a father, has, has your dad ever told you something and in the middle of telling you something, he kind of keeps telling you something? Mm, yeah. He's like, he's belaboring the point a little bit. And you're like, dad, I get it. I get it. There's no need to repeat yourself a little bit. That's kind of what happens here at the beginning of chapter three. The apostle Paul starts to pray and then he thinks, mm, I don't know if they get it just enough. And he backtracks a little bit and starts to share some of this. He keeps, keeps telling you. And then has he ever stopped in the middle of telling you something and giving you an example from his own life? Yeah, some of you have the when I was kids. Here's, here's what the Apostle Paul does. He starts a prayer, he interrupts himself, he repeats himself for emphasis, then he shares a personal testimony, then he gives some really good fatherly advice, and then he loves on us just like a father would. Let's dig in a little bit, and I'll show you what, he, what I'm talking about here. Ephesians 3, 1 through 3, it's going to confuse you because remember, he's interrupting himself. Here's what he says. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and he stops, here's the detour, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Wah, blah, 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 blah. You're like, Paul, what are you saying? What are you talking about? Any grammar teachers? In, in the house, how do you diagram that sentence with all of his different thoughts? He starts to pray in verse one and he won't finish that prayer until verse 14. So you're about to get 12 to 13 verses of the Apostle Paul just being a dad, overemphasizing his point, making sure we understand it and then he gives us an example from his own life. Let me see if I can do a good job of unpacking this for you. I think there's some truth that God wants to share with us. Verse four, he says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to us or to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Scholars refer to this selection or this passage of Paul as the mystery revealed. Now, you remember last week when Pastor Eugene was here, he said the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and that the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about these truths that up to this point have been hidden. And then all of a sudden, this new truth comes, this new message comes, these aha moments come, and his mind is blown, and he's thinking, I never knew that. It, it happened to me, not being from Cajun country. Um, Kayla and I have lived here for 19 years now, so I, I got the lay of the land, but it was an aha moment. It was a, wow, I didn't know that when I first discovered that E-A-U-X is out, as, as actually pronounced O. Sorry, I didn't know. Mind blown, you know, to do that. I, I didn't know that the frissons were like goosebumps. The things you learn at Our Savior's Church, for those of you that are new to southern Louisiana. I also learned that a couillon was not a compliment. Um, it, it, it took a while 
Um, but I did. These, these mysteries were revealed to me just by living here. Y'all following me, what, what I'm saying? There, there's several mysteries, several aha moments, several mind-blown moments that Paul was bringing to the Jews and to the new believers, the Gentiles. See, the Old Testament Jews actually believed and looked forward to the day when the Messiah would come. The only problem is they didn't know he would come in the form of an infant through a virgin birth. Are you with me? There's mysteries are being revealed to them in the middle. They, they knew that the Messiah was going to come, but they didn't know that the Messiah would actually indwell inside the heart of a believer. This, whoa, we had no idea with that. They didn't know, they, or they believed that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, would be saved. They had no problem with that. What they didn't realize is that they they thought they would have to become Jews first in order to be saved. Big deal. Paul's saying, hey, I've got this thing that's been revealed to me, this mystery that I'm unpacking for you, and I want you to get it. In fact, this is what got the Apostle Paul into a whole lot of trouble, what got him in prison, the reason why he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus from prison. Here's, here's, another, here's another one of those. He's, he's saying that these Gentiles and these Jews, he's actually preaching that they're now equal. It's a big, big deal. The mystery revealed to the church through Paul was that the work of Christ would not bring the Gentiles up or bring the Jews down, but would make a brand new group of equals, Jews and Gentiles, men and women Um, slave and free. The social elite and the lowest of status were coming together. I remember years ago, or weeks ago, I had an opportunity to visit with with a man named Juan who had just joined a men's group that we had. And in this group, Juan, who was Hispanic, saw men who were black and men who were white coming together and worshiping and growing in their relationship with God. He said, I never knew that was possible. I never knew that was possible, and it was in one of our groups that meets on Thursday night. And I remember thinking, wow, how could he not have known that? It was a mystery revealed to him when he saw it playing out in his life. Look at what Paul says to the church in Galatia. Very similar thought, verse tw- chapter 3, verse 28. He says, now there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you. Look at this. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. That last part is what got all the Jews worked up. Being an heir to Abraham's promise was something that was only devoted to them. They were better than everybody else because they were Jews. And the Apostle Paul is saying... No, because of what Jesus did, everybody who believes in Jesus Christ is heir to that same promise. Look at this. Because of Jesus, you and I don't have to become Jews in order to experience the promise of God. How how many of you are thankful for that? I'm sitting here reminded, all the excitement about Father's Day, don't miss tomorrow's Juneteenth, our brand newest federal holiday that celebrates and commemorates The moment when a group of slaves in Galveston, Texas, realized that the Emancipation Proclamation had set them free. Could you imagine what it would be like to be there in the middle of your slavery and then find out, boom, one stroke of the pen, you're free. You're free. And I'm so looking forward to seeing all the traditions and the things that are going to continue to happen as our country gets behind this 
holiday that we're celebrating. Let's keep going. I'm going to look and show you what the Apostle Paul is talking about, these mysteries. Chapter 3, verse 6 of Ephesians. This mystery, he says, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Again, just like a dad, Paul, we know. We, we read chapter 2. You don't have to keep belaboring the point. Now for the testimonies. Like when I was a young Jew, we used to walk to the synagogue barefoot in the snow, uphill both ways. We used to have to watch television and all the commercials at the same time. We, we used to have to text using 10 buttons for over 26, 27 letters and symbols. Some of you know the struggle was real when we were growing up. Some of you kids don't know. Years ago, I set my son and some of his friends down in the living room, and Cole was probably three or four at this point, and they were watching a show on Netflix. We had the laptop opened up, set in there in front of them, and I could see him. He's getting frustrated. He says, Dad, it's not working, and he's pressing the screen on my laptop, and it occurred to me, my son is going to grow up and never know that you can't just push screens. Everything he's known is a touch screen. You're with me? Kids these days, they just have it so hard in the middle. We have one of these moments from the Apostle Paul, and here's what he's saying in Ephesians chapter 3, 7 through 9. He says, of this gospel, the fact that Jews and Gentiles are one and the same, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Let me say it a different way. This grace of God and the working of his power, not my own, has made me a minister or a servant of this good news. Verse 8. To me, can you repeat that with me? To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul, Paul says this, as for me, I was given the grace to preach to the Gentiles and to bring this plan, this mystery revealed to everyone. He says, I'm called to preach and to go. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul's gifting from the grace of God at work in his life was for him to preach to the Gentiles and to go places where nobody knew about God. That was what his gift, his calling was. My gift, my calling revealed to me by the grace of God and the work of his power in my life is to preach the gospel and to shepherd and steward the congregation that he's given me and to lead the interaction among the campuses that we have here at our Savior's Church. Are you following me? Paul had this thing that God had called him to do, and he says, my gift is to preach and to go. I'm called to pastor, to shepherd, and to lead. How about you? God's gift is at work in your life, his power, not your own. We've been learning God has a plan and a purpose for you. What does God's gift look like in you when it's at work? That's just the way a father would do it. His personal testimony about what Paul's ministry is isn't meant to remind you of what Paul's ministry is. We know what his ministry is. It's meant to remind us to read that and think about what our testimony is. Paul takes this on and says, hey, this is what this gospel's done to me. And it's as if he's asking, what is it meant to you? What is your part 
in this. He says, I have just a small part, but you have a part too. Verse 10, he's continuing the same thought. This has been revealed to me so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Don't miss this transition back to the we language. Paul was talking about me and he was talking about you and now he's talking about what happens when we come together. Let me see if I can say it this way. My part is to do this. Your part is to do that. But it's the church that comes together to reveal the manifold wisdom of God. You with me? I'll say it again. My part is to do this. Your part is to do that. But when we come together, it's the collection of each person doing the thing that God has called them to do, doing their part together. It's when that happens that the manifold wisdom of God is revealed to mankind. Are y'all following me this morning? Y'all must be on Father's Day hiatus thinking about what's happening after. The food will be amazing, I promise. I'll get you there. Here's what he's saying. If you're not doing what God's gift of grace has given you to do, then others are missing out on seeing a part of God's plan revealed. That's the truth I need you to understand. We've talked a lot about unity in this series as a pastor. The unity of our congregation is of utmost importance to me. How about you fathers? Is it important to you that your children be unified? Yeah. I I would love to get all my children around and not have to play referee for 24 hours. I just want us all to get along. Let me help you, those of you that have a father you're trying to, to honor. The best Father's Day gift you could imagine. I've gotten some good ones. The best one is when your kids get along, when they're unified, and when they obey. Fathers, can I hear an amen? Amen. Absolutely. But did you know that you can be outwardly compliant but inwardly rebellious? Outwardly compliant but inwardly rebellious. Anybody with children knows that that's true. Let me help you, those of us that are sitting here in church, a part of this congregation. You can be sitting in church and trying to protect the unity by sitting silently and merely just avoiding conflict, saying nothing about the things you disagree with. Can I tell you, that's not how you protect the unity of the church. You don't protect the unity by just sitting silently and avoiding conflicts. You protect the unity of the church by a faithful contribution of your individual gifts and the uniqueness in the service of those around you. That's how you protect the unity of the church. I bring unity to this body when I use my gifts and my ability to do what God has called me to do. You don't bring unity to a body. You build unity within the body. I'm saying it a different way. Those of you that go to the gym, you don't bring muscles to your body by going to the gym. You build muscles in your body by doing the work that it takes to lift those weights and do those. It's work to be unified with the people around you. It's hard work to be unified to the people who don't look like you, don't vote like you, don't live where you live, don't dress like you, don't watch the same news that you watch and whose social media feeds look completely different than your own. That's the work. That's the work. And that's the unity that the Apostle Paul is trying to help us with. He continues by using this we language more. Verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we, who's he talking about? We. 
He didn't say he, and he's not saying me. He's saying this happens according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Can I tell you something, church? The church is not lacking in gifts. It's lacking in what? Boldness and confidence in our identities to be able to use those gifts in a way that builds up the church into a place of unity. Do you see that? We are sitting here in a congregation, every one of you, God's grace working inside you to do something. And if you're not doing it, if you're not using it, you're not building into this house what God intends for it to be. He's saying, we don't lack gifts. We lack boldness and the confidence we have to access our heavenly Father Let me bring you up to speed with where he's been talking about the last several weeks. He says this, my new identity brings a new purpose to be used with new relationships to reveal to others the plan of God. To reveal to others. Here in a few weeks, um, we're going to be, actually July 16th, we're going to be at Generat High School for our serve day Um, that we're doing this summer. We're gonna show up, we're gonna be painting and doing all kinds of work. Can I tell you something though? If we just had a carpenter and a painter show up to Generat High and paid them to do the work, can I tell you nothing's gonna be revealed? Nothing revelatory, nothing of the gospel will be revealed if we just hire a painter and hire a carpenter to go and do a job. That's That's just work that's taking place. But what happens when a group of people who don't have anything in common naturally come together and use those gifts and those talents that God has given them to show up together and do some work and get together and accomplish some things, how many of you know something's going to be revealed? People are going to start to notice. Nobody bats an eye when a carpenter shows up to do some carpentry work. But when you got people that live on this side of town and people that live on this side of town that go to church at this place out in the cane field and they show up and they do some things for no money whatsoever other than just to, re- to enjoy each other and do work together, that's when the gospel is revealed. How many of you had a chance to serve with us at one of our community outreach events? Thank you so much for helping us reveal the gospel to people who may never darken the doorstep of this church when people work together using that thing that God's put on the inside of them that's when something starts to be revealed I could say it this way the gospel is revealed when the church shows up the gospel is revealed when the church shows up the gospel is not just revealed because we have a church the gospel is revealed when the church shows up and acts like the church you remember how the Apostle Paul started this passage? He says, I'm in prison. And he's like, he's encouraging me. He said, listen, I'm in prison, but you can do this without me. Remember, it's not me at work, in, it's God at work in you. Verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Can I tell you, eternal purpose will always outweigh temporary suffering. It doesn't matter how hard it is in the moment if you know that what you're doing is gonna make an eternal difference. 
What we're doing here, you showing up, being a part, worshiping alongside of people who aren't like you, you are a part of something that's eternal, that's going to long outlive the frustrations and the difficulty you have interacting with the people that are around you. It's like the Apostle Paul says, this isn't going to be easy, but man, it's so going to be worth it. So going to be worth it. That word suffering is often translated tribulations. It's from a Greek word, philipsis. Ellipsis, and, and here's, here's what it means. It's, it's the picture of one being squeezed. Can you say that with me? Squeezed. When you squeeze something, what's on the inside comes out. Let me ask you a question, church. What, what comes out of you when you're squeezed? So you say, well, I don't know, pastor. Let's play a game. Let's say I've got a fruit in my hand, and I'm not going to tell you what the fruit is, and I'm going to squeeze it, And when I squeeze it, out comes lemon juice. What can you ascertain about the fruit that I'm squeezing when out comes lemon juice? I'm holding a lemon. Okay, let's try another one. Y'all are really good at this. If I have another piece of fruit in my hand and I squeeze it real hard and out comes apple juice, can you tell me what kind of fruit that I'm squeezing? Y'all are good. Y'all look at one more, one more. If I squeeze some fruit different from the others and out comes orange juice, what kind of fruit have I squeezed? An orange. If I squeeze a person full of the spirit and presence of God, what should I expect to come out of them in that moment? That too, my friend, that too. That too. What really is the fruit of the Spirit? Have you thought about it? What is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is those things that come out of you when you're squeezed, when what you've put on the inside is God's presence. That's the fruit of the Spirit in the middle of this. Verse 14, Paul gets us back to the prayer he started, and it's as if he has a solution to this problem. He's got this solution to the squeezing that all believers face. I'm going to show you these. This is how he started, verse, chapter 3, verse 1. How he left off, he says, for this reason. And then in verse 14, he gets back on track to pray for us, right where he picks off. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Can I tell you, it's one of my joys and privileges as a father to be able to pray for my children. And like a good father would do it, he prays. Look at this amazing prayer. Isaac, you can help me out. He says, so I kneel humbly in awe before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the perfect father of every father and child in heaven and on the earth. Can I tell you, none of us in here Go ahead, go ahead. None of us in here have had a perfect father. And if you doubt what I just said, come find my kids after service and they'll be the first to tell you. None of us have had a perfect father, but all of us have a perfect father in our heavenly father. And I'm so grateful and thankful for that. Here's what he says. He says, I bow my knee humbly 
in all before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who is the perfect Father of every father and child in heaven and on earth. Verse 16, here's his solution. And I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Look at this. Then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Then you'll be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. And here's the last part. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Pours into you, filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. I have a couple of uh, props here I want to show you. This is a water bottle, empty water bottle, nothing special about this water bottle. Um, Is there anything inside this water bottle? No, it's empty. And guess how easy it is to come and squeeze. What's going to happen if I squeeze this thing? I'm strong, but I'm not super strong. That was relatively easy to squeeze this. Can I tell you, life is hard. Life is hard. Every one of us at different times and different things goes on, and we're, we're, we're crushed, right? We're, we're, we're squeezed. And sometimes we end up going around looking like this, all, all crumpled up. And then you come to church, and it's like a breath of fresh air, isn't it? You come to church, and it's like, you get full again. God comes, and he breathes on the inside. And you leave here, and Monday morning happens. And the kids wake up. I'm a huge proponent of like 6 p.m. bedtime. Uh, summertime's hard because it stays light, you know, out so so long. But no. And then we go through life and you're crushed and we're like, man, I just got to get back into church. And we get into church and we see all of you and the team gets up and we worship and we lift our hands and it's like, we're full again. But then the day comes And the week comes, and we keep bouncing weekend to weekend to weekend. And we're going around empty and wondering why it's so easy to crush us. Apostle Paul is praying, and he says, I've got a different plan, a different solution to what's going on in your life, this crushing and this squeezing. And here's here's what he says. Here's how it works. He says, I want to take the very presence of God the very breath of God, and I want it to fill you to overflowing completely through the inside of you, overflowing to the top. And then I want to take this 
presence of God deep on the inside of you, and I want to seal it with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask you a question. Is this going to be as easy to squeeze as the other one? It's not. Why? Why is it harder to squeeze? Because it's full. The Apostle Paul is looking at us and he's saying, do you know why this world is crushing you? Because you're not full. You're not full. And I want to take the presence. I pray that God would fill you full to overflowing with his presence. This extravagant love filling you. So when the world comes and tries to squeeze you from the outside, it can't, and you're not deformed in the process. All right? That's what he's saying. But it's better than that. Because what happens if you have a really, really bad day, and you are full, and you squeeze a little bit? What, what happens? You leak a little, right? Anybody else leak a little? Me too. But when I'm full of the presence of God, when I leak, what happens? It comes out on the people around me. You ever known somebody, a godly person, walking through just a very tragic time in their life? I think about Pastor Josh and Lindsey Belt, whose son had a very difficult disease that they didn't think he was going to make it. And I watched them walk through this incredible squeezing, but they were full of God's presence. And what came out of them was something that I couldn't wrap my head around. It was this peace that surpassed all understanding. And it came out of them in that moment. And I started to realize, man, I don't know what they have, but if I ever walk through what they're walking through, I want it. I want it. And we don't realize sometimes, church, we don't realize that sometimes the very reason why God fills us and then allows us to be squeezed is so that what he put in us can come out in moments like that and other people would look around and go, whoa, I need that in my life. That's the mystery of God revealed that Paul is talking about. And he prays that God would use them to show other people what's going on in their life. A church service can inflate you momentarily, but a daily surrendered life to Jesus will allow his love and compassion to fill you and squeeze-proof you to the normal things that crush the people around you who are empty. Can I tell you, you can have this every day. The number of people I see walk out those doors on Sunday morning, Pastor, thank you. This was great. I loved it. I needed this so bad. You know, I'm so tempted to say, great, I'll see you next week. What I'm really thinking is, you can have this at home, man. You can wake up before your feet hit the ground. You can say, Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you that I get to breathe today. Fill me with your presence today, God. Pour your spirit into me. I feel empty. I think I leaked yesterday. Fill me full. Squeeze proof my life. And if it's your will that something come along today that squeezes me and some of me comes out, I pray they would look a whole lot like you 
And God, you can squeeze me if you want to, if you'll use me to help somebody else today. I want to invite you where you are to bow your head and close your eyes. Just listen to my voice as I talk to you for a few more minutes. Maybe you're here today and you feel far from God. Maybe you've been running so long, you don't even know your way back. There's a Spanish story of a father and a son who had become estranged. The son ran away and the father set off to find him. He searched for months to no avail. Finally, in a last desperate effort to find him, the father put an ad in the Madrid newspaper. And here's what the ad said. It said, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday, 800 different Pacos showed up looking for forgiveness and love from their fathers. Today can be that day when you show up to meet your heavenly father who's been waiting for you with forgiveness and love through his son, Jesus. You say, Pastor Don, how do I access that extravagant love and forgiveness? I would say this, it's a work of God in your life that allows you to do these very simple three things. They're impossible if God's not working in your life. But if you can do these three things, it's proof to me that God is working in your heart on the inside. Here's the first one. A, admit. You can admit that you're a sinner, that your sin has separated you from a relationship with God. You see it the way he sees it, and you're willing to admit it. B, believe. Believe that God and his compassion and his love sent his son Jesus who lived a sinless life that you could not live to pay a price that you could not pay and experience the death so that you didn't have to die. And if God's working in your heart and in your life and you can admit that you're a sinner separated from him and can believe that God sent Jesus to earth for you to die for your sins, then see confess. You confess him as Lord and Savior. I think it's easier to confess him as Savior when we're lost and we need him. But can you confess him as Lord? Can you say, God, your way is better? I've been trying it my own way. Jesus, I'm ready to try it your way. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus came and died a death so that I could live the way God has for me to live, not just here on earth, but in eternity with him. And because of that, I confess today Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'd like to pray with you. And I'd like to know and ask those that I'd be praying with this morning, if that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up, but I am going to ask you to raise your hand from where you're seated so that I know who I'm praying with today. If that's you, you say, Pastor Don, I'm ready to be born again today. Would you pray with me? I'm going to ask you right now to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Up in the balcony. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you, too. I see your hand. Thank you, sir. I see your hand as well. You may put your hands down one more time. 
Pastor Don, I'm ready to be born again. I'm ready to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, his unwavering forgiveness and his love for me. Please include me before you pray with the others who have raised their hand. If you raised your hand a minute ago, don't raise it now. But if you didn't and you were hoping I would give you one more chance, please raise your hand right now so I can know who I'm praying with. Church, I want to lead us in a prayer with those who are responding to Jesus and his offer of salvation to them. And I want to ask that all of us pray together, indicative of the fact that nobody goes through Christianity alone. If you raise your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me along with everybody else. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.